This morning, many of our songs, as well as several of the phrases that have been used, have focused on the empty tomb. The children's choir reminded us of the idea of the empty tomb. The empty tomb is the, the primary point of Easter, isn't it? To, today is, as I even said in my prayer, Resurrection Sunday. Even as that is what Easter is about, I think we all recognize that at times the main message of Easter can get shoved to the side. It, it can be distracted and crowded in our minds by things like bunnies and baskets and eggs and family gatherings. Yeah, I, I trust that you're here this morning because you recognize that, that the resurrection has something central to do with Easter celebration. The empty tomb. That is what brought all of us to church this morning. One of the traditions that is part of Easter celebration for, for many families is the Easter egg hunt. Children look for Easter eggs. Usually now I know that the eggs are not real eggs. They're, they're chocolate eggs. They're wrapped in bright colored foil or they're plastic eggs that are hidden in various places of, of the house. But children will go looking for these eggs knowing that if they find that egg, there will be a prize involved. The prize might be extra sugar, which is always a prize to children, but there will be a prize of some kind involved. What would it be like if we sent the children to look for Easter eggs into a room that we knew was empty? What kind of prize would they find there? On Friday, I challenged us to comprehend the cross. This morning, I want us to consider whether we really comprehend the empty tomb. Beyond the eggs and the celebration, I'm asking you to look into an empty tomb this morning. There would not be an Easter if, if the tomb was not empty. But, but what can we find in an empty tomb? On Friday, we read most of Mark's gospel account of the crucifixion of Christ, if you were with us. We, we left off in Mark chapter 15 at verse 39. We left off with the most amazing statement uh, of that Roman centurion who was standing before the cross and he comprehended the truth. He said, truly this man is the Son of God. This morning... We're going to pick up Mark's gospel account in, in the first verse of, of chapter 16. In, in the few verses that intervene from where we left off Friday, in, in this verse, Mark records that, that Jesus was buried in a tomb and that there had been a stone rolled in front of the, the opening of that tomb. Mark also noted twice in the short verses that intervene that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, these two women were watching all of these events. And they saw where Jesus was laid. I want to pick up in the account as Mark records the discovery that these ladies have of the empty tomb. That first Easter Sunday morning, verse 1 of Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, so we have three women here now, these women brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. 
Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Friday, we saw that comprehension of the cross was critical. Yet we also saw that that comprehension is often a a significant problem. The centurion in the account that we looked at through verse 39 of chapter 15, the centurion was the only person to comprehend what occurred. Well, if we look at these seven verses this morning, we see three different groups of people. and, And again, comprehension remains a significant problem. I dare say that the three people, or three types of people, there's more than three, but there's three types of people mentioned in these verses. These three types of people represent every person that's here this morning. We all will fit into the category of one type or another. Each type is determined really by the comprehension of that empty tomb. Each type of person looks into the empty tomb, and each type of person finds something important. As each of us searches for the significance of the empty tomb, each of us search for the real prize in the empty tomb, there is something that we all need to understand this morning. There's hope and there's purpose to be found in the empty tomb. In fact, we can say our hope and purpose is found in the empty tomb. We all need hope in our lives. We, we all need purpose in our lives. The, the bottom line is that we can find all that we need in the empty tomb this morning. It's imperative that we comprehend the empty tomb because that's where our hope and purpose lies. I said there's three types of people in, in these verses. The, the first type that we find is the distraught. The distraught. There is hope and purpose in the empty tomb for the distraught. The distraught, that's the term I'm using for the ladies in the passage. Those three ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Slomi. These ladies, as I mentioned, had been there, at least two of them had been there when Jesus was hung on the cross when he died. They were there because they were close to Jesus. In chapter 15, verse 41, we're told that these three had followed him when he had been traveling up in Galilee to the northern part of the country. They had been ladies that ministered to him as he was going around teaching. They had now traveled with him and his disciples on this final trip to Jerusalem. And they had forced themselves to stand there and watch as he died on the cross. These ladies had cared for Jesus. And now we encounter them on this early Sunday morning, ministering further to him by ensuring that he has a proper burial. Because of the Jewish customs that that surrounded the Sabbath, Jesus had received a very quick burial. He had not been buried in the customarial way where his body's wrapped with many rounds of spices interspersed in the linen cloth that surrounds him. There wasn't time for that. So now these ladies are coming on the first day of the week to rectify the situation, to ensure there's a proper burial. They're doing this out of love. They're doing this out of duty. They're doing this really out of a hopelessness that 
that can think of no further action to take. Have you lost a loved one at some point in death? Do you remember the numbness that comes when one you love dies? Do you remember the, the, the feeling of not knowing what to do next? You just kind of find yourself wandering around unsure of what to do. The house is empty. Can you imagine the emotional state of these ladies? These ladies would have been totally distraught because they loved Jesus enough to follow him all the way from their home to Jerusalem, ministering to him as they went. Their world had been turned upside down. The one they'd been following, the one they'd been listening to really for months at this point, the one they'd been looking toward to give meaning and purpose to their life, that one was dead. They had no hope and no direction left. Their world was empty. As they're making their way to the tomb this morning, we're looking at three ladies who are distraught. If the sun is coming up, they expect to find the body of Jesus lying behind a great rock, lying in a tomb. The one thing they were not expecting was an empty tomb. Yet an empty tomb, at least as far as their expectations run, an empty tomb is what they encounter. Rather than finding the body of Jesus, the ladies encounter an angel who tells them, He's risen, he's not here. He's no longer dead. He's alive. It's likely that there are some here this morning who are in a state like the ladies. You're here this morning distraught. Distraught is the perfect word to describe you. Your life has not gone as you hoped your life would go. The, The hopes and dreams you had at one point, they've not worked out so well. Things are not going the way that you expect them to go, and and your life feels empty. It feels meaningless. You're discouraged. And you try a number of things, but everything you try leads to more emptiness. And the meaninglessness just feels bigger and bigger as you go. You may not even know why you're here this morning other than it it seemed like the thing to do because today's Easter Sunday, and at least on Easter and Christmas, you know you should be in church. Maybe you're here today because you know it will make somebody else in your family happy by, by your presence. So you're here just trying to make someone happy, but in reality, you came this morning expecting to find a, a dead, hopeless service. You're a lot like the ladies in the passage. But friend, the very thing that the ladies found is what you need to find this morning. You need to discover the empty tomb. Your life will remain hopeless until you come to know the risen Jesus. You you see, the, the historical event that we're celebrating this morning, this empty tomb that I keep talking about, it's so much more than that. It is an entire set of events that culminate in the empty tomb. The, the events that culminate in the empty tomb, they can be traced all the way back to eternity past. It's in eternity past that God de- decided that he would provide a way of salvation for men and women to be saved from their sin. God knew, even as he created the first Adam, or the first man, Adam, the first woman, Eve, even as he created them, he knew that they would choose to rebel against him. 
And God knew that every person from Adam and Eve forward would rebel against him. He knew that as a holy God, he would have to punish those who rebelled against him because rebelling against God is sin. So God, as part of his creative acts, way back in the very beginning of time, he created hell, a place for every sinner to go because they justly deserve punishment, so he created a place for punishment. You know, if we really comprehend that truth, distraught is where we should find ourselves. We've sinned against a holy God. We deserve eternal punishment in hell. That should leave us distraught. At least until we understand the next part of God's plan. You you see, God decided that he was going to provide a way that sinners could be saved from the punishment they deserve. We're, We're still... In eternity past, think, get your minds way back in eternity past, before God created hell, God determined he would provide a way that sinners could be saved. Sin is deadly. The punishment it requires is life. So God decided to save people, but he also knew that saving them would be a very costly endeavor. God also decided that He was going to go about it in the most surprising way. A way that would require him to use his infinite wisdom so that he could remain holy, sin could be punished, and people could be saved. He was also going to use a way that would be most glorious, that he would meet all of those conditions while bringing glory to himself. God decided that he would go through a a means of saving people that would manifest his love and his mercy to his creation. Remember, this is his rebellious creation. Men and women who are shaking their fist in his face saying, we do not want you to be our God. God the Father decided that he would send his own son, his eternal son, the, the second person of the Godhead. He'd send that one into creation as a man who would die for the sins of others. Move forward in time, Jesus is born to the Virgin Mary. Fully God, fully man, the perfect God-man. For 30-plus years of life, Jesus lives a sinless life. He never rebels against God like the rest of mankind has. Jesus fully did his Father's will at every moment. He's the perfect man, the perfect man that, frankly, a world filled with sinners could not tolerate. The world condemned this perfect man to die on the cross. In one sense, we can say Jesus hung on the cross by the hands of sinful men who placed him there because they hated his sinlessness. But in another sense, as we talked about Friday, he hung there by his own voluntary choice. He chose to enter creation. He chose to allow himself to be killed. Remember, Jesus prayed even in the garden on that final night, Father, not my will, but yours came to give his life to do his father's will. Remember, the one, as I mentioned Friday, the one who walked on water, the one who rose Lazarus from the dead, he did not have to die on the cross. He had more than sufficient power to ensure that he never died. As he himself says in Matthew 26, 53, all he had to do was ask, and his father would have sent 12 legions of angels to deliver him. He certainly could have prevented his death in a large number of ways. 
But Jesus chose to allow himself to be crucified because that was his Father's will. That was this plan for all eternity so that salvation could be offered to rebellious sinners. Jesus knew his life would be an acceptable substitution for the guilt payment required by a holy God against sinful men. The reason that the tomb is empty, that we come to this moment in history that the tomb is empty, is because God the Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice. He accepted his death as payment for the sins of others and then proved his acceptance by raising Jesus back to life. The way to have hope and purpose in your life, if you find yourself distraught today because you know that you're in rebellion against God, you're distraught because you know that you are a sinner deserving eternal punishment. The way to find hope and purpose in your life is to look to the empty tomb. The way to have hope and purpose is to remove the oppressive load that the, the guilt of your own sin brings upon you by accepting that Jesus died in your place, that the guilt's been paid by, by him. You may be distraught today because the guilt of sin always leaves us distraught. The answer for you is in the empty tomb. Look into the empty tomb and find a risen Savior. Accept Jesus as your Savior today. Only in Jesus will you find hope and purpose. Look to him. Our hope and purpose is found in the empty tomb. The first type of purpose who must look into the empty tomb is the distraught. The distraught represented by the ladies. Jesus is risen. He can be your savior this morning. There's three types, remember. The first type is the distraught. The second type of person that we encounter at the empty tomb is also mentioned in these verses. That type is named the disciple. The disciple. The disciple of Jesus can find hope and purpose in the empty tomb. The angel in our verses gives a message to the ladies, and they take this message from the empty tomb to the disciples. The message is, he, Jesus, the one who's risen from the dead, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Now, I'll admit that's a rather cryptic message. To understand that, that message, we really need the, the background of the, the rest of the book of Mark that led up to this point. The, the disciples that this message is for, these are men who had committed themselves to Jesus. They had accepted Jesus for who he was. They accepted that he was the Son of God, the, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. They had accepted his teaching, his words. They accepted that what he said was the very words of God. They had placed their faith in him. In other words, using our parlance, the disciples are believers. The cryptic message in verse 7 was a, a message to faithful followers. So what was the message? Jesus had been telling his disciples that he would have to die and that he would rise again at, from the dead. Sadly, they, they failed to fully understand his message up to this point. On, on this Sunday morning, while while the, the ladies are going to the tomb to minister to his body, Jesus' disciples are undoubtedly huddled in Jerusalem, confused as to what their next steps should be. How should they continue to proclaim the, the truths that they learned from Jesus now they was dead? 
Do they need to adjust their, their message somehow to, to communicate what he's taught them? Did, did their faith in him even need some adjustment to, to fit the reality of this new situation when, when he's dead? They had not abandoned their faith, but they're certainly confused. That the message that the ladies were bringing them was one encouraging them not to allow their confusion to get the better. That the message told them to add their, to their understanding that they had to this point, add to it one more fact. He's risen from the dead. The message would help them fill in the blank they were missing. They were to expect him again in Galilee and in there he will give them further instructions. I expect this morning, in, in the room gathered here this morning, we have many that fit into this category of disciples. We have accepted Jesus as our Savior. We know that he is risen. We believe that he is alive. We have all the hope and joy that comes with that message. We comprehend the empty tomb. What we need to remember this morning is the further instructions that, that Jesus gave his disciples when they get to Galilee, when they see him there, he gives them more instruction. He tells them that they are to go into the entire world and proclaim the truth of the empty tomb. Their lives are to be consumed by this singular message. For his disciples, their life's work is proclaiming his resurrection and all that it means. We're sitting here this morning almost 2,000 years from the event. The one thing we can say with certainty is that his first disciples did not fail. We sit here today because the message of the empty tomb was taken by those first disciples into the world of their day. Still, just as the message of the empty tomb has come down to us through history, generation after generation after generation, so that we now have that message, the responsibility to take that message into the world has come down as well. We now have that responsibility. As his disciples today, it is now our job to proclaim his message. Today we sit here and we celebrate the empty tomb and all that it means, but we also need to sit here today committing ourselves to the proclamation of the message. We need to proclaim the empty tomb. We need to proclaim the, the hope that's offered by our Savior's resurrection. This is our life's work if we're disciples. This is our consuming passion. This is our own hope. It is our purpose for life. We are not here, folks, to live comfortably. We are not here to have a large bank account or a safe retirement plan. We are not here for those goals. Our lives are not to be filled with hobbies and vacations. Our purpose is not to make sure that our children have great experiences and comfort in their life. That is not our purpose as disciples. We're here because of the empty tomb. We sit here and celebrate a risen Savior. Yet we live in a distraught world. A world that needs the message of the empty tomb. We live in a country that needs this message. We live in a city that needs this message. We're surrounded by distraught people who need the hope that can only be found in the empty tomb. Individually, we cannot take the message to every person in this world. 
We cannot individually take the message to every person in this country or even in our city. Yet individually we can take the message to the distraught people who live around us. Our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our families. We can take the message of hope one by one to the people who are living around us. And as we do our part, as we do our part individually as disciples, God can use us collectively to impact the world. After all, we sit here this morning because we've received a message that was taken by a group of disciples that is much smaller than the group sitting here. The group of disciples that was given the message to go wait for him in Galilee is way smaller than the group of people sitting here. And yet we sit here today because that group did not fail. It's so easy to become distracted by other concerns in our lives. Today, as we celebrate the empty tomb, refocus your life. Refocus your life by looking into the empty tomb for your purpose. Find your purpose in the message it contains. You, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have been given a message. Proclaim that message. Our hope and purpose is found in the empty tomb. The disciple, that that second type of person who needs to look into the empty tomb this morning, the disciple finds not only his or her hope in the empty tomb, he or she also finds purpose. Proclaiming the message of the empty tomb. Now, if you think about it, it may seem like those who are not following Jesus, but need to begin to, the, the distraught, if you think about that group, and you think about those who believe in Jesus, the disciples, you may think this covers everyone. But I said there's three types. There is one additional type that we need to observe in our passage this morning. A type of person who also needs to look in the empty tomb in a unique way. That is the denier. Look carefully at verse 7. The denier. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, but, but Peter is called out in a special fashion. Peter represents a unique subset of disciples. There's a reason that Peter is specifically called out in this verse. Most of us probably know, three nights earlier, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. At Jesus' most difficult time in life, when he's been arrested and he needs his friends around him, Peter denies that he even knows the man. Peter had been arrested by the group that came to do that, and he'd been taken prisoner, and Peter follows along behind and enters the courtyard of the high priest where Jesus is hauled before the Jewish council. Peter wants to see what's going to happen. What will happen to my master? Yet while he's standing around that courtyard three different times, lowly servant girls and other men who really have no significance in, in the political world of the day, three different times they accuse Peter of knowing Jesus, and he denies it. He denies that he even knows Jesus. To make matters worse, Jesus had prophesied that Peter would do this, and Peter had adamantly rejected that idea. So not only denied Jesus, he denied 
Jesus to his face by rejecting his prophecy and then did the very thing that Jesus had said. He denied his Lord. We're told that as soon as Peter realized what he had done, when the rooster crowed, just as Jesus said it would, after he denied him three times, we're told that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was extremely remorseful over his betrayal of his master. Still, facts are facts. Peter had denied Jesus. I expect that the guilt of that haunted Peter. I expect they wondered if he could ever be of use to Jesus again. The last thing he wanted to do was have to look in the face of the one he had denied. Yes, he was a disciple, but he was a disgraced disciple, a washout. He was a Jesus denier. The specific message that calls out Peter by name was an assurance that he was forgiven, that he was still able to serve his master. Peter was still included with the disciples. Jesus wanted to see him again. Quite likely, there are some here today who find themselves in a situation quite similar to Peter. You have accepted Jesus as Savior. You do believe in the empty tomb. You believe that he's the Son of God who died from your sins. You believe he rose again. You believe all of the things that are necessary for salvation. You comprehend what the empty tomb means. Yet at some point, you've allowed yourself to begin living very differently than you believe. You've allowed the desire of acceptance into this world or the comforts that this world offers you, or the pressures of this world, you've allowed whatever it is to become more important than Jesus. Your life is essentially a denial of Jesus because there is nothing in your life that reflects Jesus is your master. Or maybe it's even worse than that. Perhaps from the outside, your life looks really good. You look very much like a good disciple. Yet deep down you know that there is a deep, dark sin hiding in your life. A sin that really denies the lordship of Jesus. And the guilt haunts you. It haunts you with the knowledge that deep down you are a Jesus denier. In either case, this morning you're sitting here thinking, this is all well and good, but I'm useless to Jesus. You feel much like Peter this morning. Guilt-ridden, broken, sorrow-filled, useless. Friend, you need to look into the empty tomb again. You need to comprehend the empty tomb once more. The, The message that was waiting there for Peter is there for you as well. There is forgiveness in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus. There is a purpose in Jesus. And you can go back to Jesus. He's willing to have you rejoin this larger group of disciples and serve him again with the mission that he's given you the moment he saved you. There is always hope in Jesus. The tomb is empty. There is always purpose with Jesus. The tomb is empty. Your hope, your purpose, it lies in the empty tomb just as it does for the rest of us. He is alive. Any distraction that your life has can be set aside by by comprehending the empty tomb anew. 
Any sin in your life can be set aside by looking in, in, into the empty tomb and realizing he already died for that sin and rose victoriously again. The empty tomb calls the denier back to Jesus for hope and purpose in life. Our hope and purpose is found in the empty tomb. Today is not about Easter eggs. It's about hope and purpose that is found in the empty tomb. It's not about bunnies. It's not even about families. Today is all about the empty tomb of our Lord and Savior. We must comprehend the empty tomb, the only place where we can find hope and purpose for life. Are you distraught today? Look into the empty tomb and find that Jesus is risen. He died for your sins. Place your hope and faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior. Find hope and purpose for your life by looking into the empty tomb today. Are you a disciple today? Look into the empty tomb and find that Jesus is risen. He saved us and has given us a message to proclaim. It's the message of the empty tomb. Find hope and purpose for your life by looking into the empty tomb today. Are you a denier? Look into the empty tomb and find that Jesus is risen. He can forgive and restore you to service as his disciple. Find hope and purpose for your life by looking back into the empty tomb today. Will you look into the empty tomb? Will you find hope and purpose there? Our hope and purpose is found in the empty tomb. Let's pray. Father, we do rejoice in the empty tomb. We celebrate that Jesus is alive. Father, I pray today that you would do a work in each of our hearts so that our celebration would be renewed. For those who need to know Jesus as Savior, Father, today may it be the day that, they, that you draw them to yourself, that they come to understand the significance of the one who died for their sins, who rose again victorious, and who, when he's accepted by faith, provides the forgiveness that's required for sin's penalty. Father, may you do that work in lives today. Father, for those of us who are disciples, may we truly find our passion in Christ. Renew us today. Give us an increased vigor for the purpose that should be the consuming purpose of our lives, proclaiming Jesus Christ. And for any who have lost hope because of sin that has entered their life, distractions and discouragement or whatever it may be that cause them, causes a person to live a life of denial, may they find renewed vigor and hope today, a purpose by coming back to Christ. We know that you will accept any who come before us, or any that come before you, rather, with a contrite heart, because you have risen your son back to life. You've accepted his sacrifice. The tomb is empty. So we know that hope and purpose is there. What a joy it is to be able to pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.